Welcome back. I'm Shane McClelland. I'm Lori Gum. And these are the Q Files. In this episode, we will examine the scientific and mystical elements of sleep, or more accurately, the lack of such. Humans are the only animal species in the world that purposely stays awake, and research clearly shows that Mother Nature has not nearly had enough time to assist us in adapting our bodies and minds to what has become one of the most catastrophic habits of our modern times. Human beings can go longer without food than we can go without deep slumber. We have glorified and normalized sleeping less than our bodies require and have socially claimed this act as a badge of merit and ambition, especially in the United States. Take a look at social media and no one is bragging about getting a full night's restful sleep, but all too many are happy to report about an all-nighter determined to get that job at any cost. And while lack of sleep indeed damages our bodies, potentially resulting in death, simply put, sleeplessness does some very, very strange things to our minds and can induce what could only be described as an internal journey into the paranormal. And so, our story begins with the tale of a curious teenager. In late December of 1963, a 17-year-old high school student named Randy Gardner from San Diego was searching for a science fair project for his school's local competition. Randy was from a military family and had spent most of his life moving from town to town and making new friends had been hard. He thought by winning the science fair, he could distinguish himself as someone worth knowing and befriending. In every town he had ever lived in, he had entered the local science fair. But he decided this time, it couldn't be just any old science project. It had to be really impressive and original. Gardner himself would say, I was a kind of science nerd when I was young. When we came to this town, San Diego, I thought, boy, this is a big city. My project had to be big. Well, consequently, he and his classmate Bruce McAllister stumbled upon a doozy of a big experiment. This was their idea. One of them would stay awake long enough to become the world's new record holder and beat the previous record of 260 hours, or more than 10 days, held by Tom Rounds, a disc jockey in Honolulu who hoped the stunt would result in publicity for his radio show. It would be a daunting task. They would also keep a record of their experience, thus the science part, and document exactly what sleep deprivation did to the body and mind. McAllister would say this, the first version of it was to explore the effect of sleeplessness on paranormal ability. But we realized there was no way we could do that, and so we decided on the effect of sleep deprivation on cognitive abilities, performance on the basketball court, whatever we could come up with. There was only one thing left to do. They would flip a coin to see who stayed awake while the other did the documenting. Gardner won the toss, or maybe lost it depending on how you look at it. They would report that the first two days were rather easy, but Gardner did start eating a lot of oranges because the citrus seemed to ease the nausea that was increasing as the hours went by. He also had difficulty identifying objects by touch. McAllister would later say, 
We were idiots, you know, young idiots, and I stayed awake with him to monitor him, and after three nights of sleeplessness myself, I woke up tipped against the wall writing notes on the wall itself. Well, they quickly realized that they also needed another person involved, so they recruited another friend, Joe Marciano, to assist them. He and McAllister would sleep in shifts, so that one would always be awake with the task of keeping Gardner from sleep. McAllister would also say, in order to keep him awake, the team would make him play pinball and basketball, preventing him from lying down. And we made him talk through the toilet door whenever he went to the bathroom, in case he was tempted into taking a sneaky toilet nap. Randy had occasional Cokes, but other than that, you know, no Dexedrine, no Benzedrine, the du jour stimulants in those days. A local paper ran a story on the project and attracted the attention of Stanford's sleep researcher, Dr. William C. DeMent. He contacted the family. DeMent would say, I was probably the only person on the planet at the time who had actually done sleep research. Randy's parents were very worried that this might be something that would really be harmful to him because the question was still unresolved on whether or not if you go without sleep long enough, you will die. DeMint agreed and also called in Lieutenant Commander John J. Ross of the U.S. Navy Medical Neuropsychiatric Research Unit in San Diego. Gardner would say, and Dr. DeMint rented a car, a convertible, and we drove around in that. So we had a really good time when Dr. DeMint came down. That really helped me because that was like a fresh of something different and new to keep me going. A real experiment had begun with real scientists. This had gone way beyond a simple science fair project. But it was true, the threat of potential death was valid. Previous experiments on humans had shown sleep deprivation caused paranoia and hallucinations. And one lab experiment that kept cats awake for 15 days proved fatal to them all. After four days, it seemed like Gardner's body was holding up pretty well. He was physically very fit, said Dr. DeMint, so we could always get him going by playing basketball or going bowling, things like that. But his mind was a different thing altogether. Gardner started having hallucinations. I hallucinated that I was this famous black football player, Paul Lowe from the San Diego Chargers. My friends thought that was hilarious because I weighed like 130 pounds. But after that point, everything basically went in the toilet. There were no more highs, just lows and lower lows. It was like someone was taking sandpaper to my brain. My body was dragging along okay, but my mind was totally shot. While standing in the driveway of his home, Gardner also noted seeing a deep, mysterious forest pathway in front of him, rather than the rest of his house. Dr. DeMint and Lieutenant Commander Ross tested his sense of taste, smell, and hearing. And after a while, his cognitive and sensory abilities began to be affected. McAllister recalls Randy saying, Don't make me smell that. I can't stand the smell. He couldn't stand the smell of anything. He also became easily agitated and was angered with little provocation. Over the next few days, his speech began to slur and slowed down. His mind, now foggy, he would start sentences, then stop halfway, either forgetting where he was going or being interrupted by a new thought entirely. 
His short-term memory was virtually non-existent now. I mean, it was crazy, where you couldn't remember things, Gardner said. It was almost like an early Alzheimer's thing brought on by lack of sleep. But interestingly enough, he could still play ping pong and it even appeared to the team that his basketball game had actually improved. By the 10th day, Randy's face seemed to become frozen in an expressionless, vacant stare. He rarely responded to questions, and when he did, it was in slurred, barely audible monotone, which was hard to understand. But at 2 a.m. in the morning on January 8, 1964, Randy officially broke the world record. He had gone 11 days, 264 hours, without drifting off. And in the process, earned himself first place in the Guinness Book of World Records. Gardner was immediately taken to the nearby Naval Hospital, where he was finally allowed to sleep, while his brain waves were monitored and physical tests were conducted to make sure he had suffered no permanent damage. McAllister reported this. So he sleeps for 14 hours, we're not surprised, and he wakes up, in fact, because he has to go to the bathroom. His first night, his percentage of REM sleep skyrocketed. Then the next night, it dropped in percentage points until it returned to normal. And then he got up and went to high school, Dr. DeMint noted. It was amazing. Gardner himself would say, I slept just over 14 hours. I remember when I woke up, I was groggy. Not any groggier than a normal person. I went right back to the regular mode. Everything was fine. Strange, isn't it? Strange indeed. And it gets stranger. Now, at the age of 75, Randy has this to say. About 15 years ago, I stopped sleeping. I could not sleep. I would lay in bed for five, six hours, sleep maybe 15 minutes, and wake up again. I kept thinking, well, this'll go. This will change because it seems to me that eventually... If you don't get enough sleep, your body will just say, we're going to sleep. But it never happened. I would go out to the backyard at three in the morning and scream my head off like a wild animal. No one can help you. No one can make you feel better. No one can do anything. It's like you're going insane. He continues. That's why I keep calling this some karmic payback for, you know, my body going, okay, buddy, yeah. Okay, 11 days without sleep when you knew damn well you need sleep. Well, let's try this out for size. I was awful to be around. Everything upset me. It was like a continuation of what I did 50 years ago. Randy has now come to sort of a compromise with sleep and manages to drift off for a few hours a night. He offers this sage advice. You have to sleep. It's as important as... It's the big, I call it the big three, water, food, sleep. You got to have them, all of them. If you don't, you're done for. Scientists now suspect that long periods of sleep deprivation, even when young, may actually rewire the brain. And these symptoms may not rear their ugly sleepless head until we are older or even possibly triggered by an intense emotional experience. It might be noted that just before Randy began experiencing his insomnia, he lost his dear beloved cat George to tongue cancer. He explained, 
And I was so upset that the vets didn't catch it, that they never looked into her mouth to find this tumor, that they blamed every other thing. And then she died, and I was so racked with guilt, which is stupid. You know, I would never do that now. You have to move forward. You can't go back. But I didn't then. And I think that's what triggered it. One theory is that the permanently rewired, sleep-deprived brain may actually be less capable of dealing with depression, anger, and intense emotional experience. Remember that for later. The boy who wouldn't sleep is now a man that can't. As a final note to Randy's story, he indeed won first place at the 10th Annual Science Fair at his school. It was his last science fair project. And furthermore, he still holds the record for sleeplessness to this day, but most likely due to the fact that the Guinness Book of World Records has retired the category. Today, it is simply considered too dangerous, more so, it seems, than swallowing swords, broken glass, or live animals, which are still recognized. That should tell you something. But for thousands of years, saints, mystics, and spiritual seekers have not only fasted, going without food and or water for an extended period of time, but have also employed sleep deprivation as an ascetic practice with the intent of bringing the individual soul closer to the divine or experiencing unification with the cosmos. Nuria M. Fari Buril, author of the paper Sleep Deprivation, Asceticism and Religious Experience, explains... The explanations of sleep deprivation provided by religious traditions are very diverse, but most of them are related to notions of ascetic practice and corporal discipline as a means of spiritual purification. In the majority of cases, sleep deprivation is part of a set of ascetic activities equally focused on the principle of discipline and self-mortification, such as fasting, sexual abstinence, and other kinds of physical exertions. What gives sleep deprivation a more specific significance, however, lies in its associated notions of wakefulness, alertness, as a desirable condition of the soul, in opposition to the passive state that is related to sleep. Furthermore, due consideration should also be given to hallucinatory states and more general cognitive dysfunctions and alterations brought forward by long-term sleep deprivation. Perhaps one of the oldest religious traditions where sleep deprivation figures prominently among its ascetic practices is Taoism. Taoists have always been suspicious of sleep because dreams cause a loss of control over oneself. Within the 12th century Taoist monastic order, such a fear induced ascetical practices of sleep deprivation and motivated collective meditation at night. Like soldiers, Taoists must fight against sleep and keep their inner citadel free from intruders. Five watches are marked within the monastery by drum strikes. Hence, they become a very sensitive reality for the religious communities. The main purpose of these watches seems to have been the fight against the temptation of dreams. Especially feared were erotic dreams and the possible nocturnal emissions that they might provoke. It was understood as well by several Taoist practitioners that a sleepless night would bring them nearer the truth. 
Together with erotic dreams, sleep was also supposed to make the person vulnerable to the attacks perpetuated by demons, devilish hallucinations, and evil spirits. Control over sleep should be obtained gradually, night after night. No fast results should be expected, and the need to sleep should disappear naturally. Another religious tradition where sleep deprivation has been widely practiced is Hinduism, with all-night vigil, usually to worship a deity with song and ritual. Such all-night vigils are found throughout the Indian subcontinent in a variety of religious contexts. In fact, the concept of waking or wakefulness, as in many religious traditions, is central to Hinduism. It could even be called a root metaphor for the Hindu religious experience, as well as other religious traditions such as Christianity and Buddhism. The state of enlightenment, for example, is often compared to being awake as opposed to being asleep or deluded. Deities who are active in the world are said to be awake. The Buddha, which means the awakened one, himself attained enlightenment during the night, and his meditative experiences during the several watches of the night are an important part of his spiritual biography. Besides being a denial of sleep, wakefulness itself is a positive quality, being associated with such attributes as wisdom and lucidity of mind. All-night vigils and sleep deprivation were quite common in traditional Sufism, the mystical branch of Islam. A famous representative of early Sufism, Ibrahim ibn Adham, said that one must particularly embrace sleeplessness in order to attain righteousness. In Judaism, on the other hand, the natural desire for sleep was disciplined in the service of the community. One of the Jews' self-imposed tasks was the observation of continuous worship. The law was to be studied continually, day and night, as the members undertook in turns to perform this service. The implication is that sleep is a withdrawal from the service of God. Once again, it is as if sleep would push us away from the right path, which consequently can only be remedied by the state of wakefulness. Think about it for a moment. What is our new modern slang that proclaims that someone is alert to injustice in society, especially racism? Yep, we say they are woke. Seems we are no different in our perceptions of sleep than those early ascetics, including our centuries-long fear of terrifying night visits from demons and witches that have plagued the human race for centuries. In 1664, the Dutch physician Isbrand van Diemerbroek published a collection of case histories. One history with the title Of the Nightmare describes the nightly experiences of a 50-year-old woman. While she was composing herself to sleep, sometimes she believed the devil lay upon her and held her down, sometimes that she was choked by a great dog or thief lying upon her breast, so that she could hardly speak or breathe. And when she endeavored to throw off the burthen, she was not able to stir her members. And while she was in that strife, sometimes with great difficulty, she awoke herself. Sometimes her husband, hearing her make a doleful, inarticulate voice, waked her himself. At what time she was forced to sit up in bed to fetch her breath. Sometimes the same fit returned twice in a night upon her going again to rest. Medically speaking, 
We know this now as sleep paralysis. According to the Cleveland Clinic, while falling asleep or waking up, your brain sends signals that relax muscles in your arms and legs. The result, muscle atonia, helps you remain still during rapid eye movement sleep, or REM. With sleep paralysis, you regain awareness, but can't move. During a sleep paralysis episode, you're aware of your surroundings, but cannot move or speak. But you can still move your eyes and breathe. Many people hear or see hallucinations, making episodes even more frightening. Folklore from many countries, and especially rural cultures, have documented this phenomenon, and the reasons have often been attributed to the visits of demons, witches, and other malevolent beings, or sometimes known as a succubus, an incubus, or a lilith. A common description is that a person feels a presence of a supernatural malevolent being which immobilizes a person as if standing on their chest. In Egypt, sleep paralysis is conceptualized as a terrifying jinn or genie attack. The jinn or genie may even kill its victim. Well, so much for that bottle and those three wishes. Sleep paralysis among Cambodians is known as the ghost pushes you down and entails the belief in dangerous visitations from deceased relatives. In the regions of Italy, it is referred to as a pendafece attack, which usually refers to an evil witch, sometimes a ghost-like spirit or terrifyingly cat-like creature that amounts on the chest of the victim and tries to harm them. The only way to avoid her is to keep a bag of sand or beans close to the bed so that the witch will stop to count how many beans or sand grains are inside. Or you can steal her hat. In Newfoundland, sleep paralysis is referred to as the old hag, and victims of a hagging are said to be hag-ridden upon waking. Victims report being completely conscious, but unable to speak or move. Despite the name, the attacker can be either male or female. Some suggested cures or preventions for the old hag include sleeping with a Bible under the pillow, calling the sleeper's name backwards, or in an extreme example, sleeping with a shingle or board embedded with nails strapped to the chest. This object was called a hagboard. Pisadeira, a character of Brazilian folklore, originated in the country's southeast, and it is described as a crone with long fingernails who lurks on roofs at night and tramples on the chest of those who sleep on a full stomach with their belly up. Interestingly enough, sleep paralysis is sometimes interpreted as alien abductions in the United States. And it has been determined that the number one most common cause of sleep paralysis is, you guessed it, sleep deprivation. But not only is it dangerous in the fact that it can seemingly attract such hellish mental monsters just mentioned, get this. In 2007, the World Health Organization classified night shift work as a probable carcinogen due to circadian disruption. Or in other words, long-term consistent sleep deprivation can potentially give you cancer. Seriously? And while it seems everything these days are reported to give you cancer, there is some staggering research that makes this a very probable scientific fact. 
a large 2017 European study of almost 25,000 individuals demonstrated that sleeping six hours or less was associated with a 40% increased risk of developing cancer relative to those sleeping seven hours a night or more. That is stunning. Monsters come in all forms. Matthew Walker, director of the Center for Human Sleep Science at the University of California, Berkeley, and the author of Why We Sleep, is on a mission. He is calling for a sleep revolution and claims that sleep deprivation is our number one public health crisis. Yes, number one, that we are suffering from catastrophic sleep loss epidemic that is killing us. He also states very emphatically that sleep is your superpower. He explains, once you know that after just one night of only four or five hours sleep, your natural killer cells, the ones that attack the cancer cells that appear in your body every day, drop by 70%, or that a lack of sleep is linked to cancer of the bowel, prostate, and breast, you understand the true importance of sleep. Sleep deprivation has not only an effect upon our immune system, but on all of our biological systems. Walker says no aspect of our biology is left unscathed by sleep deprivation. He says it sinks down into every possible nook and cranny, and yet no one is doing anything about it. Things have to change in the workplace and our communities, our homes and families. And it seems we are all unwittingly a part of a long-term sleep experiment that has been going on for years. It's called daylight savings time. In the spring, when we lose an hour of sleep, heart attacks the very next day are seen to increase by 24%, while in the fall, when we gain an hour, we see a 21% decrease in heart attacks. That's no small statistic. As we stated at the beginning of the episode, Walker is particularly disturbed by our glorification of sleep deprivation. He says, We have stigmatized sleep with the label of laziness. We want to seem busy. And one way we express that is by proclaiming how little sleep we're getting. It's a badge of honor. When I give lectures, people will wait behind until there's no one else around and then tell me quietly, I seem to be one of those people who need eight or nine hours sleep. It's embarrassing to say it in public. They're convinced that they're abnormal, and why wouldn't they be? We chastise people for sleeping what are, after all, only sufficient amounts. We think of them as slothful. Walker also states that the patterns of brain activity that you see in those healthy people who have had a lack of sleep are not dissimilar to the patterns of brain activity that you see in people suffering things like depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Sleep deprivation is an anger intensifier, which reduces impulse control. He also describes the danger zone, where the fight or flight response is at its peak, where emotions are volatile, thoughts are impaired, and coping strategies are forgotten. Think of how our world today is marked with what seems to be constant, irrational anger, paranoia, stress, and meanness. All the same symptoms we now attribute to sleep deprivation. But we have chalked up our general bad behavior to the frustration of enduring COVID and our severely divided political landscape. 
there is a real thing now known as coronasomnia, which describes the huge uptick in involuntary sleeplessness described by many mental health professionals regarding the marked increase in their patients' inability to sleep during the pandemic. But we think, maybe, that we have it all backwards. Maybe since the Industrial Revolution and the invention of electricity, these many years of mass collective sleep deprivation have gotten us to where we are now. Compromised immune systems that allow a virus such as COVID to proliferate, increasing deaths from cancer with no end in sight in a country that suffers from mass paranoia, irrationality, anger, lack of compassion, hopelessness, and one could even say collective self-induced hallucinations. Damn people, we don't need to wake up. We need to sleep. Seriously, think about it. And that means seven hours or more of sleep a night. A sleep duration any shorter than that will render a staggering decline in mental, emotional, and physical capabilities, along with short-term memory loss and the lack of ability to learn and retain any new information. It seems that our own national somnambulance we have awakened to what seems to be our current nightmare. Yeah, but you might say, you know, hey, I get it, I get it. I need to sleep, but I can't. I've tried everything. I bought every phone app to put me to sleep, every Amazon gadget, every book, and even put on that, you know, white noise to allow me to sleep. But I can't sleep. You know, these are tough times and I'm worried about my family, about my kids, about myself. I feel out of control. I have anxiety and I'm afraid of the future. That is understandable. We all suffer from those feelings these days. But there is a remedy. And the simplicity of this prescription will take your breath, literally. Thich Nhat Hanh was a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, peace activist, prolific author, poet, teacher, historically recognized as the person who was most influential in bringing Buddhism to the West. He is also known as the father of mindfulness. He was exiled from Vietnam in 1966 after expressing opposition to the war. In 1967, his friend, Martin Luther King Jr., nominated him for a Nobel Peace Prize. Thai, as he is called by his students and friends, died just this past January 22nd. But he left us the gift that can save us. And it is simple. Just breathe. It is that very breath that makes us human and lets us know that we are alive. We all have to do it to stay alive. And maybe that is how the cosmos set it up so we would at least get an inkling as to the simple practice that can free us. Tai states it very simply. When you lay down tonight, simply start becoming aware of your breath. Take a deep breath in. And even say in in your mind. Breathe out and do the same. Let any thoughts just pass through your mind. Keep focused on your breath for as long as you can. Feel it come in and out of your body. In and out. Pretty soon you may notice that your mind has strayed and you've forgotten all about your breathing. That's okay. Don't get frustrated. Just start again and again and again. This will become easier with practice, and you will soon be able to implement this practice during your daily life and tasks. It's called mindfulness, 
being aware in the present moment. It will save you and help you to sleep. It is really that simple. It is the true beginning of a great change for you and the world. We cannot change the external world without changing ourselves first. It is impossible. And it might also be remembered that in the Gospels of Matthew and John, Jesus was aboard a ship with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee when a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The wind rocked them, threatening to upset the vessel and send them all overboard into the angry sea. When they looked for Jesus, they found him sleeping on a cushion in the back of the boat. They woke him and proclaimed, Teacher, are you not afraid that we might drown? Jesus then stood up and said, Peace, be still. And the waters became instantly calm. No one can be sure, however, whether he was talking to the wind and the waves or to his disciples. Peace, be still. We have been struck over the last several years regarding one simple phrase that we have all heard over and over again. It is a plea. It is a begging for mercy. It is the very mantra of human suffering in our times. I can't breathe. Eric Garner said it before he was murdered. George Floyd said it before he was murdered. And countless other people of color have said it for centuries before they were lynched and hung or suffocated in the bowels of a transatlantic slave ship. It has understandably become the very urgent chant of the Black Lives Matter movement. I can't breathe. Almost a million Americans dying of COVID would say it too. I can't breathe. Our birds, our insects, and our very earth are being smothered as we speak due to self-imposed climate change and destruction of our world. We can't breathe. The cosmos is saying something to us, and we need to pay attention. It's time we learn to breathe and sleep for a chance to dream again. Thanks so much for joining us, and we encourage you to read one of the more than 100 published works by Thich Nhat Hanh. The Miracle of Mindfulness and Peace is Every Step are fantastic intros into the practice of mindfulness, meditation, and the purposeful breathing of which we referenced in this episode. And I personally would like to recommend the book A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. I had a very rough couple of years in 2018 and 2019, and this book was instrumental in turning my life around. I often say, it saved me. Now, go put on your hagboard and get some sleep. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends. Be weird. Stay curious. These are the Q-Files.